Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, my name is Henry Catchpole and I'm a freelance motoring journalist, I suppose, working mostly for Haggerty these days, but also Evo and the Intercooler. And yeah, that's about it, really. <laughs> the Driven Chat Podcast, powered by Paramex Digital. Hello there and welcome to this week's Driven Chat podcast. My name is John Markar. Sat in the room with me is Mr... It's Mars Lacey, just once again. Just once again. Yeah. As ever. Joining us consistently. Um, And as you've heard there from the introduction, our guest this week is the highly acclaimed motoring journalist... Mr. Henry Cashpole. That's very kind of you. Thank you. How are you doing, Henry? <laughs> I'm all right, thank you. Yes, yeah, yeah. Summer's definitely over today on the day I've, I've come in here, nearly drowned getting from the car to your front door. So, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant, isn't it? We're recording this just for your uh, benefit, dear listener, on the 12th of September. The previous or the prior four days to the recording of this, it's been the hottest consecutive, I think we've had six or seven consecutive days of 30 plus degrees in September, which is unheard of. So for our listeners across the pond or elsewhere in the world, you may not think that's a novelty, but here in the UK, it really is. But today, lo and behold, we've woken up to actual September weather. And yes, it is. The the sky is full of water. Quite the contrast from obviously coming back from revival where we were subsequently baked for three (laughs) days in total. (laughs) Although it did rain on Sunday there as well. I was was there on Sunday and driving down, having thought 
it's going to be this is all very british isn't it we're talking about the, we're starting <laughs> yeah, off with a, a nice is, long yeah. chat about the weather but yeah driving down thought and it suddenly started to rain on the a34 and i was like oh no literally not a single umbrella or piece of wet weather gear sort That's, of and yeah. harris tweed is not known for its kind of sort of no, particularly sort of it's um, neither across like water apparently repellent. as it turns out <laughs> that made for some interesting action yeah it really did didn't it yeah, yeah. it was good great event so that would have been yeah that that would be last week's podcast that we've just put out which at the time of recording is currently sat in the editing suite but yeah it's quite funny listening back to the edits it was a bit like the beginning of a zoom call every single person we talked to was like gosh isn't it hot isn't it isn't the weather lovely and then of course on that sunday and look now it's raining and it's like gosh, yeah <laughs> typically british editing out lots of uh, lots of weather chat from the uh, from last week's podcast so, Henry, I feel like we've got a lot to delve into. But there's a question I always like to throw in towards the beginning of each episode, which helps build up that picture of why you're here and how you're here. Mm. And the question is, is there a core memory as far back as you can remember that might have been the little light bulb moment that has ultimately got you to where you are now? Um, I suppose I remember very clearly wandering into the kitchen at home presumably must have been on a Sunday and my parents would have been watching the Formula One on the little probably Sony Trinitron (laughs) television in the corner uh, with Sunday lunch and me being an inquisitive child to some extent asking you know who was winning and it was and they said oh the Ferraris are winning and I said which ones are they and they said the red cars and my favorite color is plenty of um, small boys the color will be was, was red and so I thought right well that's they're my favorite cars but I, I i suppose and that's that's a sort of that is a definite moment that, that that clearly stands out um i obviously loved cars before that my parents loved cars they were sort of always around and i suppose in that way it it, it just sort of gets into you but that that must have been some sort of certainly light bulb moment for following and loving ferrari which was um i suppose a central tenet of my car loving youth as it were because i then went on to collect a lot of model ferraris which i still have um so sort of, i noticed we wandered down the corridor just there yes, sort of a, got a few Bur- burago yeah uh burago 288 gto i think was just down there well in fact spotted. my first 118th scale model i bought was in fact a polystyl version of a 288 gto but most most of them ended up being burago because they were the um the sort of the more ubiquitous models i suppose but um yeah everything from sort of 143rd scale all the way up to um, yeah, much, much, much bigger ones. But uh, that was all my birthdays and Christmases. <laughs> Subsequently, sort of, and not all of them red either. But, uh, um, but yeah, that that moment, I suppose, was is something that springs to mind. It's funny. It's such a common theme, especially specifically with the Burago models. I've heard it so many times before, where people say, "I was given a gift, or I had one, or I bought one." And I, it happened to me. So as a child, my dad was a Snap-on Tools dealer, mm. and they were running a, a particular campaign one day where if they sold a, or, or if a customer were to purchase a certain number of tools, they get these Burago scale models. So he came home from work one day once the, the campaign had finished with a couple of spares, and it was a 550 Marinello and an F40. And they sat on my bedroom shelf for years, and that was it. And the two are my absolute iconic, two of my absolute dream cars. If there is a road Ferrari that I aspire to own, it's a 550 Marinello. And I can almost pinpoint it's because for years I was just staring at it on a shelf going, what a pretty thing. Yeah. Yeah, I saw the place where I got the Clio MOT'd had uh, uh, one of the Burago, but the Italian 90 liveried 
um, must have been a Testarossa, I think um, it was. So, um, yeah, which I remember again at the time, sort of looking around the shops and seeing that one, and um, not wanting because it wasn't really football. But but now yeah. I look at it and go, oh, I just remember if it's almost even more um, uh, sort of nostalgic than them. It is, isn't it? I think I, I dread to think in my loft somewhere how many model cars i've actually got um all of varying you know some some really some really odd ones like a three you know like a e46 318i or something like that but you know why not and then like you say i had uh, a one tenth i still got a testarossa one tenth but i remember i remember vividly having it as a child because everything worked it was actually a really intricate model was it one of the ones with the steering steering connected? and everything oh, wow and it was it was the sort of like forbidden fruit because you wanted to play with it, but it was not really the thing that you played with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I God, I, I, it's funny how so many people have those kinds of things and and gets you know get locked away and maybe twenty years down the line when you're showing your own kids, you go, yeah, I, you know, I used to actually have quite an innocent, uh, <laughs> interesting <laughs> cars as well. Now it's become a business and really painful. Yeah. <laughs> Now I cry myself to sleep because of the debt. It's wonderful. <laughs> um, at what point then did you start thinking about a career around cars? And, and was there always a, a foresight and a vision into the journalism route? Was there a particular moment or was there, was there a particular interest in English language at school or literature at school that, that allowed you to think that maybe you were going to pursue a career in writing? Um, again, there was, there was definitely a moment where I, I sort of thought, yeah, that's what I want to do. But prior to that i'd i'd always enjoyed creative writing i sort of um i suppose i'm not sure how to describe it i was, wasn't a swat exactly but i sort of i i didn't necessarily enjoy school as in the sort of i wasn't particularly good at exams and doing mm. sort of box ticking exercise but i liked the um learning about something new and sort of the that sort of thing and i i like creative writing but there wasn't a great deal of outlet for it at, at school um and obviously love the cars obviously you you think about what you might do when you're older but i didn't really see a way for a long time into working with cars because i wasn't particularly mechanically minded um and i hadn't been put in a go-kart at the age of two and a half or whatever you need to be to go and go and do that and it it just that wasn't you know i I very quickly realized that wasn't going to be a thing particularly um in terms of becoming a professional driver uh, or racing driver much as though i might have dreamed of doing it um but then evo magazine was launched um in 1998 so 25 years ago and the first issue of that my best friend at school bruce his father was kind of he, he bought a copy and then bruce nicked it off him and then i nicked it off bruce and i knew some of the names from performance car because i'd obviously read plenty of car magazines before then you know remember buying the first issue of, of top gear magazine and things like that and uh car magazine and my father had loads of old issues of motorsport in in the garage at home and pour over but reading that issue of evo there was something about not just the words and the way they spoke about the cars but also the the photography in it as well because i i love the photography aspect of it and the visuals um that just made me think that is that's what i want to want to do um and that's the sort of that led to everything subsequently. And that's the moment I genuinely sort of thought, you know, you go to a careers advisor or whatever at school and right, what do you want to do? I want to become a motoring journalist. Excellent. Have you thought about law? And, um, <laughs> and sort of, yeah, that was sort of how it went. And um, so even when I went to university 
not to do journalism, mm. uh, but uh, art history and philosophy. Um, I was still trying to get work experience and things like that in the summer holidays to sort of progress forward and enter the, with the Daily Telegraph had a young motoring writers competition that was the Sir William Lyons Award. And I found out about all these things, but it was that sort of first issue of Evo that really triggered it because it seemed to be something different that really appealed to me in terms of the way they were writing and the sort of um all of that so yeah i think it's i think evo spoke spoke to a lot of us actually i think it's quite influential mm. on certainly our generation um you know and beyond and because i would say you know from before um before i met you henry that i would i, I always associated you with evo i think mm. that's where i started reading reading any of your stuff really um but it's amazing how many people that that Evo of that kind of original crowd, if you will, have gone on mm. to do, you know, obviously do some incredible things. Um, but it seemed to be almost like a it was like an unofficial training camp for journalists, <laughs> wasn't it? I think it's I think it's testament to the magazine and the, the rightness of it and, and the fact that it continues to be sort of, you know, it hasn't lost sight of what it started out as because so many of, of us and it feels it still feels strange saying us because i still kind of still part of me that sort of can't quite believe that i i am part of it or if, and continue to be but you know john barker dickie meaden jethro uh are all and stuart gallagher who was there right That's at awesome. the start as well you know they're all all of us still involved mm. with the magazine um and writing for it so um it's it stayed very true to what it what it was and what it was founded as love it so where did that where, how did you crack the nut, so to speak? You know, <laughs> Evo is, is I think, still considered to be, you know, a, p- a pinnacle, isn't it, Absolutely. really, for so many. Um, you read a magazine, mm. you love what they do, you love everything that, you love the production of it, you think, okay, I want to be involved with that now. How does that happen for you? Um, I think there was a lot of, sort of a lot of sort of perseverance, I suppose, in terms of I, I was quite... Um, not totally single-minded because obviously I didn't go off and do journalism or something like that, but I still, there was a, there was thinking behind what I went and did in terms of, right, well, if I can, if you can think critically, which the philosophy gives you and generally if you can write, which an, an arts degree will give you to some extent. And if I could then supplement that with the, the work experience and writing, you know, the occasional column here or there, sort of when I had time to practice and just, just read lots and sort of, and read critically, I think um that all fed into it so there was to some extent not a a lot of luck in where I ended up but having said that and I've got got the work experience where I said before so I wrote to them um actually met Harry uh at the Festival of Speed one year because I used to try and blag my way up the hill at Goodwood (laughs) in the supercar runs um Hang on, I wasn't. It sounded to sound as I was some sort of really precocious sort of uppity child, and I, I genuinely wasn't. I was quite sort of shy in some respects, but um, I it was something I wanted to do, and if, yeah. if I wanted it, I would would go for it. And I saw these supercars going up the hill at the festival of speed, and most of it, some of them had you know driver and passenger, but most of them just had a driver. I was like, well, if the passenger can be in some of them, then there's yeah. lots of spare passenger seats there that, you know, why can't I be in one of them? Absolutely it took me right. a few years to kind of work out the how to do it and sign on and take a helmet, yada, yada. And anyway, once I'd done that, I then, you know, one of the years ended up sitting next to Harry Metcalf, wrote to him, um, didn't hear anything back, wrote to him again the next year. <laughs> and, you know, he'd obviously passed it on to whoever dealt with um, the lowly 
work experience people that managed to get a, <laughs> managed to get a work during work experience weeks work experience during summer holidays so um so that yeah. age then you would have been 15 16 about that sort no of? no i was much older than that because oh, okay. i was at university oh, at you point, so yeah right. i was probably uh 18 19 i should think Brilliant. um 19 yeah 1920 something like that so Got it. well there's um, a couple of things you've you've mentioned which i always like picking up on and i think they're important ones to recap on because we have a, mm. an awful lot of listeners who enjoy listening to our episodes and um with aspirations to work in the automotive industry especially yeah. as journalists and as writers and there's always this common thread and this perhaps incorrect preconception that you have to be um a brilliant creative writer with a journalism degree before you even get started and mm. i always like mentioning when that is so frequently not the case um the other thing you mentioned as well is the fact that school wasn't for me. I mean, only last week, oh, a couple of weeks ago, an episode we did with Joe Achilles, we had exactly the same conversation mm-hmm. where, although none of us in the room are academically stupid, the school system is quite a formatted, as you say, tick box system of you do this and then you learn this and then you sign off this. And that just doesn't work for everyone. Exams don't work for everyone. So I do love hearing these stories where you didn't go to university to get the journalism degree you didn't go to university to even get the creative writing degree but it's just something you've had a passion for and followed and therefore things have worked out Mm. and clearly they have worked out but with a bit of perseverance as well it does take a bit of guts in writing to the editor of your favorite magazine or reaching out to somebody via social media in fact wasn't that how the two of you first got in contact with each other i think it was uh yeah Uh, yeah it was i was i was still writing for um or I'd pitched to write for SCD at the time. I said, you know, I've got this sort of interesting job. Maybe I could just talk about it now and again in a column. And um, they had I, at the time they didn't really have any budget for stories or anything like that. So I'd just go and dream up the idea. Uh, and sure enough, yeah, I wrote something and actually reached out to Henry on Instagram, I think. And thankfully, you read it. And um, I said, "Can you just read this old that I've written, please? <laughs> and let me know what you think." Uh, and thankfully, there was, you know, there was some some positive notes in there but yeah that's exactly definitely wasn't wasn't (laughs) (laughs) and so yeah i very similarly reached out to you and um you know that's kind of helped helped uh help me shape what i was doing going forwards anyway Mm. but yeah like you say a bit of guts involved and a bit of perseverance but yeah surely that's how we met Yeah. yeah and it's that that common thread as well of practice you know practice really is the best way i i look at some of the stuff that i wrote a few years ago and I just I look at it now through my fingers thinking oh god what on earth was I doing what, what was I trying to do mm. we all I think everyone that's ever tried to write about cars has tried the Jeremy Clarkson phase of I can be funny and write about cars and I'll yeah. definitely be brilliant at this and you read it back and go oh no god it was awful and mm. um, uh, did you have a similar journey with it do you often look back on some of the stuff you wrote early on and look at that with a critical eye or do you see it all as no that's uh, that's the formative period where you have to go through the learning curves yes i think there's a it's it's always tricky i suppose there's the the old age of, of writing starts with the first edit mm. um and that's definitely something you have to learn to do and it's it's always hard because i i certainly used to find it pretty excruciating going back and reading my own writing certainly straight away and it was definitely one of the benefits of writing for a monthly magazine because it Mm. meant you could often leave something for a day or two maybe even a week and Mm -hmm. then go back to it and it's that's always giving yourself that much space from something um really helps um but definitely 
having the sort of um i don't know it's not guts really but sort of you know perseverance to go back i suppose and read what you've written and accept that it's you know as soon as you accept that you're not going to have got it right the first time mm. and there will be things that you can improve then it's it's fine and 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 also i think um it's one of those things that you has become more pertinent the sort of with the advent of of the internet and and social media and things like that in terms of you don't have to publish something unless you're happy with it um i mean it's slightly different you're on a magazine you're on deadline you've got a sort of that's that's a whole other issue but when you're starting out and you you might be writing something for fun nobody has to see that apart Mm. from you you know Mm. you can write it put it away for a couple of days you don't have to put it straight out on whatever platform is out there um come back to it read it make it better and only when you're happy with it put it out there mm. um and it's the same with you know filming you, know, you you can do an awful lot of practice these days sort of you know with a mobile phone filming yourself right what works what doesn't am i better reading from a script am i better making it up on the spot um you know where am i looking what's the light doing all these th- things just right how can i improve it and you can do all of that without ever having to let anyone else so see it absolutely right. and, I, and i think that's the feeling you have to put stuff out and you, you don't you can you can make a effectively a relative something you're happy with and then put it out there mm. um so you know you don't have to in some ways go through the growing pains that i did on youtube which kind of i've mentioned before there are sort of yeah there will be videos most of them have kind of thankfully gone away <laughs> they might have been just, just published algorithm. on them. exactly yes but um but yeah and it's, it's sort of and i was very lucky at evo again because i i had that period of um you know an apprenticeship really during the first few years so you start out you know, i didn't start out writing cover stories and and all that sort of thing you you get to a lot of what i was doing was writing news pieces and you know peter tomlin saying right well with this you've got to write something that somebody that knows nothing about cars could pick up and Mm. understand very quickly what is going on um at least before you go into greater depth so things like that you think right okay that's how you write and you write different bits of the magazines obviously in, in different ways um but you also do an awful lot of proofreading um and i sort of made it my business when i started the magazine to um other than making tea and coffee for everyone else because that's what i was most useful for um <laughs> despite not drinking either <laughs> um but i think sort of the, the grounding in all the other aspects of the magazine so i used to love just you know like the proof runs we had to do up to the printers on on deadline day and you sort of you take those and you had to go and it was a big responsibility to check that they hadn't got anything wrong and mm. pictures hadn't slipped text hadn't sort of gone off the end or something like that but and I used to enjoy reading the whole magazine and you'd read it, you had to read it really critically, obviously, because wow. it was proofreading. So you're checking for mistakes. And again, it feels like sort of that first time you you, you spot a mistake in, you know, one or the other, I'm not going to name any names, it still feels <laughs> wrong to sort of, you know, quietly sort of walk over. I, sort of, is, I don't think that's quite, oh no, that's quite right. And sort of, you know, yeah, yeah, sure. go through it or get changed or whatever. And you think, yes, thank goodness. I've kind of, um, you know, I haven't said something stupid, but yeah, you, that's, it's, if you're thinking about that about other people's writing which is probably easier to do or less excruciating in your own then you tend to it definitely do is. it but you can do yeah. that that doesn't you don't have to be working on a magazine to do that no you can if you're reading a magazine you you can do it and i'm not saying it's sort of you should 
you know, subject all your enjoyment of magazines to kind of you know, suddenly <laughs> make it like like work. But once you've if you've read an article and you get to the end and think, oh, I really enjoyed that one in particular. Mm. Right, what was it that yeah. you? Why did I enjoy? Why did I enjoy yeah. that? What is it? Sort of. And again, you're not necessarily looking to copy it, but there's just yeah. things you can always. There was pick a thing. Up. I think one of the one of the main things I took away. If um, if I remember rightly, it was I'd driven the Porsche 911 um, Manti uh, at Donington, and it, I'd, I'd recently just driven the GT3 RS road car, and then I drove the Manti edition. And I, I did like a comparison of the two. Um, wrote the piece, and you were like, "Yeah, okay, this this is this is like a good good basis." But um, consider when somebody's reading it that you want to take them on the journey as if they're sat in the car and they're experiencing what you've just experienced, not you just telling the story of your experience. So actually when you talk about you turn turning the car on or you clicking it into gear, just a simple change of you to you turn the car on, you start, you start to hear the engine fire of that kind of thing. And it immediately places the reader mm. in the seat that you were in. And that really did have quite a profound effect on how I, how the narrative of what I wrote going forwards was changed. Yeah. I, I almost I, I want to go back as well to the uh, the idea of reading through that proofreading that first physical copy that must have felt magical as somebody that's loved magazines grown up reading magazines and then you've got an edition of a magazine that in a week or so's time is going to be on shop in, in shops and you get the first ever look did it feel special to you oh yeah yeah the, the, the sort of the just sitting in that office and um tower quarters it was sort of on the on the farm and being like i say surrounded by people that i've been reading their their words and looking at the pictures and stuff and and there you are as you say you, you get to read the words first of all and i used to love the thing when you got because it was all shot on film um when i started it mm. was sort of there was probably a couple of years before we really sort of transitioned we were quite late to transition to um digital so again one of the things you do you drive all the film down to maybe metro in london uh, mm. middle of the night to go and get it all processed and stuff but it would come back into the office and you'd have the light boxes and you'd be looking through all the Amazing. Um, so you'd get That's to so see cool. all the photographers working so it wasn't yeah. just the uh, the final photos that you'd see it's kind of and it was kind of yeah, it's a bit like looking at, at a video sort of seeing that whole you know run through a corner you might be able to sort of you know the um, the, the burst of photos was taken and you pick out the the best one wow. um through that but uh yeah you got to see all the all the stuff that was on the, the cutting room floor amazing as well. <laughs> and then talk to us about that transition then because I, I i hadn't allowed myself to even think th about that side of print media at the time and we have with the podcast we have spoken to a few people um photographers especially some of the old school heroes the uh, the likes of nigel harneman who've been producing some of the best photo shoots for big advertising campaigns and he told a brilliant story about the transition from film to digital and how there was this big kind of messy overlap because a lot of people didn't think it was going to be a thing and then others adopted it really early and even the the biggest most expensive cameras were producing images at about four and a half megapixels and that was about it and um what how did you deal with that transition in that time and i guess the same relating to the addition of digital media for things like when the, the ipad generation came along suddenly every magazine wanted to have their their issue as an ipad format as well were there any kind of standout moments for you that were particularly difficult or particularly easy in comparison to perhaps some of your more experienced colleagues shall we say <laughs> um 
I think no, I was, I was fairly, I was fairly embedded into the the old way of doing things. Not quite the sort of the typesetting, but sort of, but that it, I, I went through that journey with them as well. And I think we all thought that um, being the luddites that we are and like clinging on to manual gearboxes and stuff, sort of, you know, the the we were probably a, a bit um, uh, recalcitrant in terms of accepting the digital cameras, kind of straight away you know it's still something about the feel of mm. film and stuff like that um but yeah I, I think in terms of the sort of the I suppose, workflow um to pinch a phrase from coffee um it digital definitely made life easier for the driving and going out and getting a shoot definitely mm. now yeah when you've got the cameras that you know so you've got your um sony there and it's the fact you can look in the back of the camera yeah um chimping i think they call it don't they? but sort of to to see that it's sharp so whereas before you might have to go through a corner i don't know half a dozen times for some yeah might be a dozen times for others because they want to bracket they want to make sure that they've they're pretty sure they've got one sharp on film because you can't look at it mm. Whereas with digital, it might just be, you know, you go through the corner once, photographer looks in the back of the camera. Got it. Yep, yep. got onto it. That's fine. Uh, on to the next one. Yeah, and actually the onus falls onto the driver. Um, get the photographer's going, that's, <laughs> you've not quite done that how I wanted it. <laughs> yeah, but you only have to get it right, you know, if both of you only have to get it right once and yeah, you know you're not yeah. then sort of, um, yeah, trying to uh, repeat it several times. So that was definitely a a nice thing, I think, in terms of definitely uh, the shoots. The trouble is at that point, just as that was coming for for me, frequently we'd end up with a videographer on the shoot as well. So actually, I never really had quite <laughs> this sort of Goldilocks moment that's sort of going on a shoot just with a photographer with a digital camera, and that was the sort of um, really good. But yeah, most of the time we'd have both, say Dean Smith uh, or Andy Morgan, and then Sam Riley of there as well. So we were kind of trying to it got even busier basically. Well, yeah, yeah. There's 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 I mean there's some fantastic photographers that have been and still obviously uh, feature in evo um you know like sir james lipman and obviously now aston parrott as well just fantastic fantastically skilled people um and i'm glad you mentioned the photography because i remember listening actually to harry metcalf on another podcast at some point and talking about you know the inception of evo and how they just wanted to do something a little bit different. And yes, it was a saturated market at the time, but they wanted to be able to sell something that you would buy in addition to maybe motorsport magazine mm. or autocar kind of thing. Um, and I think the way it was presented in, in more of an art form than maybe others was, a, in my view, quite a big win for it and how it probably was a major key to its success. And particularly the beautiful photography, the locations you went to, the cover shots were always a magnificent thing. And for, for anyone that doesn't know or hasn't bought an Evo before, when you subscribe to Evo, you get the clean, you get the clean cover, which is just the clean front cover with the, with the leading cover shot on it. When you buy, of course, the one off the shelf, it's got all the writing over it. Um, and, you know, people literally, and me included, collected them for many years because they were just a nice thing to have. Yeah. No, it was, and the, the visual side of it was definitely a, a big thing for me when I, was first sort of you know wanting to get into it i i had a had a camera and i, I harbored this idea that maybe i could be a, a sort of a photojournalist to something mm. so you know take do do both words um and photos and something like brett fraser did manage to do it and i noticed that you know you'd look at sort of the the articles where people had you know words and pictures by 
whoever anything yeah I, perhaps i could do that that'd be really really good and then fairly quickly realized that you just couldn't sort of you, you didn't get as much time in the cars and you were concentrating on too many things and it Surely. was sort of and plus people like us gregory and andy morgan were much much better at it than those <laughs> <laughs> so it's um yeah focus on the, the writing side and that was really that was going to give me the avenue to do what i wanted and and get the most time driving the cars so sure. um but i did always love the photography side of it and i think because of that i always took um a real interest in the visual side of it and, and what they were doing and i would always probably irritatingly but try and you know suggest the old thing here or there as well because i like that idea of the the words and the photos matching up because i sure. thought that was sort of it's the unique thing about a Absolutely. a magazine as opposed to a book or whatever where you get the sheaf of photos in the middle it's, it's you really want to bring them all together and um yeah. it's um which then leads into the the video stuff which i've said yeah. in the past as well it's sort of that um leads into that as well I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the video actually because uh, absolutely right the like i say my my probably first memories of your uh your work was of course uh the written articles but then you know there was a distinct transition into video at some point and you know there was all sorts of things there was um i'm trying to think of the even uh the thing that chris and dicky did for a short while driver's republic, driver's republic yes, yeah that was yeah. a short-lived thing and um but you know just cool thing stuff that we probably still go back and watch now just because it was a bit nerdy yeah. for us and yeah. enjoyable um but yeah I, I think for someone who it's i'm interested to know what the adaption was like for you into essentially becoming a presenter mm. and actually trying to possibly maintain obviously some of your ethos and character into the how you come across on camera was that was that a bit of a slap in the face or was it something you found quite easy definitely didn't find it easy no at all because it was it it was a complete change of direction um because i had you know as I just said I, I got into it all with you know magazine in my hand that's what i wanted to do mm. i want to write for evo you know age of whatever it was going to university target achieved i'm at evo this is it i'm i'm set i don't, I don't, want, I don't want to go anywhere else i don't it's just this is what you know I, I want to do and i might become features editor one day or something like that but that's 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 it and there was no obviously i watched top gear back in the day and, and all that and grew up watching you know happy memories of watching tiff you know sliding the mclaren f1 out of the chicane at goodwood and all that yeah. sort of thing images like but that was something so far removed from the magazine world as far as i was concerned even the sort of from top gear magazine it, it, it was so separate yes. because it was and it was such rarefied air because it was only them really doing it and so it, it just wasn't something that had had crossed my mind um and so when it came along i i, I didn't really want to do it at first certainly it, it was um others did it first and i sort of thought that again you you see yourself on camera or whatever it's just not you look awkward and yeah um i mumble and speak pretty quietly in real life and so <laughs> it just didn't seem like something that was suited to me but as you say there was they were often did drives republic and ipads came along there was a financial crash in sort of 2008 mm. and it, it all pointed towards basically the downfall of magazines that you know everyone's saying they're not going to last yeah. and, and age whatever i was saying okay well this is not great for mm. somebody who's 
kind of set their store. You know that Absolutely. that law degree might have been quite useful right now. I'm kind of going to have <laughs> yeah. to switch kind of you know, <laughs> switch codes and all that. Damn so that you, yeah, school. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> oh, right. Okay. So um, yeah, and at which point I looked at the video stuff and, and thought right, and I there was a course I think I went on at some point because we were all required to do some sort of training and video was coming along so right you've got to go and try it and I I don't think I took it particularly seriously actually which was probably the best thing I could have done Mm. because I relaxed and I sort of didn't do it as though I really wanted to do this right so I just I don't know I just relaxed I was just just myself on camera and looked back thought actually that was all right that That came across okay so um, if I can do that and just be myself then it's okay and very quickly rise you can't just be yourself because as we just said i mumble and speak quietly and that does not come across well on youtube and people can't hear what you're saying so you have to be a sort of you know 150 percent of yourself Mm. to make it work um and you can't just turn up looking like you've been dragged through a hedge backwards and some people might still think that i do on camera but trust me it's an awful lot more, you know more groomed sort of you know the fact that i should have run a hand through my hair before i check that it's not all you spent hours sprouting in makeup before you oh, even came yeah, on here absolutely, absolutely yeah those laybys in wales are renowned for their barbers so um but uh, but i didn't sort of you know all these things you sort of think right okay this is what i'm gonna have to do it might be feel unnatural to me to start with but that's that's just the, the game you play you know you, you, you don't write a you know a feature in a magazine in the same way you write a letter to your friend or something like that Surely. it's the same kind of deal i suppose it is um, it's a really interesting topic because I, I, I had i've had i don't know if i've ever actually had this conversation on podcast before but on this it's something it's certainly been one that i've had many in a pub garden but that uh, that interesting chapter where motoring journalists and writers, I guess let's let's focus on that word, writers were suddenly told, "Ooh, we need to do videos now as well," and it's not a directly transferable skill. No, the ability to write about it. cars does not automatically mean you have the ability to present about cars. They are two completely different fields, and I can't really think of any other industry through time where you set out to do one thing as your job you've gone to you let's say you have gone to university to study journalism and creative writing that at no point throughout your university degree were you told oh and by the way in 10 years time you might be expected to be a television presenter as well Mm. because you're going to have to do that because all the other magazines are doing that and it is it is bizarre and I know you know we can all think back to examples where some people just do it brilliantly there is there is a, a a synergy with certain people where they've been a fantastic creative writer, a fantastic journalist, and lo and behold, they just get on with it, get in front of a camera, and they look perfectly at home. And I'm sure we can all think of a few where it doesn't come as naturally. And that's fine, because of course, as I say, nobody's designed with the ability to do both. But I'd love to explore, being that you're... And to blow a bit of smoke up your arse, you hear me? You're, you're a fantastic writer and a fantastic creative writer. And a bit like Miles was saying earlier, that ability, I find what you're very good at is the ability to put me as the reader exactly where you are at that time, experiencing what you're experiencing. You don't shy away from emotion. You don't shy away from the intricate details, which many others might think, oh, is that necessary? Is that a bit boring? But they're actually, it, it puts me as the reader in exactly the right place. And I wonder if that helped in carrying across to essentially script writing. 
because from me for me and as a, as a personal point of view I do a little bit of writing and a little bit of presenting for me I I find it's essential that I have to write my own scripts and I write my own scripts in the same way that I write my own articles and there are a few people who've cleverly worked out that if they read my article about a particular car and then watch our video that we've made about that same car it's almost word for word exactly <laughs> the same thing because I'm inadvertently writing both my script and my article at the same time so I wonder did that did you find a similar thing in in a time of writing your own scripts? Did you start writing your own scripts or were you given something by somebody else to say, right, this is what I want you to say about this car? What was that journey like? And, and did you find that link between the two? Um, well, I can categorically say I've never had anyone write a script for me. Um, and I tend not to script stuff in the way that I think a lot of people might imagine mm -hmm. um, because I I won't script things before i've driven a car of course so the which is you know the way that a lot of things might have happened sort of on in the past maybe sort of it was you come up with an idea of what a car is and you you can end up sort of framing a you know film video whatever around an idea that you've had about a car um and, and a lot of it you can sort of you know prejudge in some respects and and there are elements that you you, know, you can do that with so if you want to write a, a general history thing about i don't know alfa romeo for example um you you could build an intro around that before introducing the new car that you're about to drive and it does it has no impact at all or on you know what you then go on to say so you you can pre-script that sort of stuff but the way that we work um is obviously quite hand to mouth a lot of the time sort of is, and so i often found that you could go on a shoot with a great idea for an intro or basing it around some particular thing and then you get there and discover that it's just not possible because mm -hmm. the location that you looked at on google maps has actually got roadworks all over it or mm -hmm. um the, the the aspect of the car that you thought was going to be really important when you actually drive it you realize no it's it's not that and i'm going to make a big thing out of something that's not actually that important and waste a lot of time talking about something when i should be talking about that mm -hmm. and i think with the you sort of mentioned the trying to put people into the car that probably you know i'd love to say it was all perfectly planned but it's almost unwitting mm. because if you haven't scripted something beforehand you're you're really telling people what you're feeling as you're driving the car um which was always the way sort of i suppose with eva you'd be taking it all in soaking it all up so you could write your article afterwards um but the fact that you're doing it sort of live ish mm. um you know you, I'd, i'll make notes before i do my pieces to camera so i'm not just waffling like i am now um <laughs> and the editor doesn't have an absolute nightmare trying to cut it all down but it, it is you're you're in that moment where are you what's this car like um and yeah you're, you're trying to take other people on the um the journey um, yeah. in that car with you so yeah I, I suppose the fact that i'm not scripted probably helps with that because um there's an authenticity to it which Completely. is absolutely kind of <laughs> authenticity is dressing it up and um sort of um fancy words but it's, it's just that's it's what realism. it is it's yeah, just it is. that's it's... kind of and i can't do it any other way because no. i think if i haven't got the skills to learn a script and do it because i've i'd have tried occasionally to sort of write down oh, whole impossible. sentences of, yeah. of what i want yeah. to say and i just can't no. 
I don't have the skills. I kind of, and I can't do it. I think if I had to try and go around a circuit and say specific lines, I would be sunk because mm. the sometimes I'll you know have somebody sitting next to me go around the circuit and I know the topics, the things I wanted to get across whilst I was going around, but I'd get to the end of my three, four laps or whatever, and you're trying to drive quite hard, and I'd look across at the person sitting next to me and say was that all right yeah. i've no idea <laughs> yeah. what because I, I just can't i just like yeah, haven't yeah. got the i'm sorry hit the mic i haven't got the random access memory no. to, to cope with that many things i can say the things and i can drive but i can't remember what i yeah it doesn't yeah. doesn't work so no i i, I think um, that's a that's a common thread i almost want to backtrack on one of the, the things i mentioned earlier because when i said writing scripts for myself i think i do the same thing as you that any script or article that ends up being printed somewhere or written somewhere is often starts on uh, on my iPhone through notes and I'll do yeah. the same and I'll get in yep. a car and I'll drive things. In fact, we, you experienced this firsthand when we did our hydrogen car drive <laughs> and I immediately got out the car and ran to a corner and started vigorously like, writing notes. Don't talk to me. Terrible, <laughs> I need to download my Terrible brain. punctuation and things. Yeah. But that's exactly it. Yeah, I'll, I'll do the same. And it's, and it's interestingly, it's those notes as a result of driving the car on the day that will in some way shape or form transform themselves into a written article at some point usually mm. a week or two later after the uh, after the video has gone out and as you say it's that sort of thing if you, know, you ran off and made the notes straight away yeah and it is that thing you know it's been this thing of sort of oh i could tell within 500 yards that it was going to be a, a great car or a terrible yeah. car whatever. and it's there's a sort of it's, it's become one of those things that like you, say, you roll your eyes at it because it's kind of but those first few miles in a car are so important because they're the, the time and it's the those impressions that are kind of what you want to get across to everybody a lot of the time into in, or certainly a, like 50% of it because you will very quickly um and I suppose it's one of those things of having driven a lot of cars and being if you're quite adaptable if you're a good driver like you, know, you are then you quickly adapt and this new car that was fresh suddenly becomes a bit more not normal necessarily, but but you've you've like you have molded to its its quirks and you, you, they don't stand out as much. So it's, it is those first few miles that tell you so much about what is different about this car, and that's what you want to then sort of hold on to, sort of so you can get that across in in the video, not just the kind of you know after a full day in it and kind of this is my yeah quite a rehearsed sort of view on the car if you will yeah Yeah. no i totally get you yeah no i i yeah roll i roll my eyes at that just because you know some people some people will say oh yes i know exactly how it's going to handle before i've even and you don't uh, absolutely and and that's obviously a bit but i completely agree when you those those fresh impressions are are the most important and actually you know, my previous line of work, assessing cars, you know, for a living as well. Um, that was something that was very, very important for us because certainly when you're working on a very similar product all the time, you're working for a single manufacturer, um, the variations on the cars are really actually quite small. You know, you're not you're not jumping from a GT car into a sports car. Of course, you're going to see some quite profound differences there. But when you're talking about maybe an S model or, a, you know, a, a a variation of something that already exists they're actually very subtle changes and you have to be really quite sensitive to them and you're absolutely right you can almost trick yourself into go oh well we've done we've made this change to the car so i'm pretty sure i know it's going to feel like this 
And you have to sort of delete that out of your brain and go, no, I need to just drive it and actually really, really say how it actually makes me feel rather than like prefacing it with any sort of impressions, really. Mm. Yeah, it's very true. It takes a long time to kind of have the confidence to do that and to trust yourself as well, I think, which is yeah, um, certainly something that's taken me a long time to do. And it's only after listening to a lot of other people and doing that whole, you, you talk to other people and it's it's been crucial for me now because so much of what i end up doing is driving you know sometimes it might be a car that nobody else else has driven there's nowhere i can go and read about it before you know read somebody else i trust beforehand to get a general idea and it's you know absolutely not saying i'd ever really trust anyone to sort of put their thoughts in into mine but you can sometimes get an idea but sometimes yeah nobody's driven this car before so i have to yeah, trust myself that um, back myself a bit, which is, feels quite unnatural in a way. But say, right, no, it's what I'm feeling is what it's like, and um, yeah, it's it's okay. I'm not about to say sort of um, anything daft. Yeah, uh, I'm. Yeah, I'm actually. That's what that was one of my main questions I wanted to bring to you because yeah, when you, I think when you're maybe earlier earlier on in in the process of learning to write and you know sort of get, gaining your building your voice as it were maybe for some you know there would be a tendency to slip into some you know um clichés and whatnot but you're absolutely right i think only through you know as you've admitted through time um you become you have to be confident in what you're feeling and impressions mm. are and also stick by your stick by those words you know mm. so that yes this is somebody says oh i didn't think that you go okay that's your opinion but this is what i felt about the car yeah um and it's you learn as well that the not you know not every car is necessarily set up the same way even from you know two two gt3s might be set up really quite quite mm. differently um, over time and that sort of thing so um yeah you, you have to just accept what's what's in front of you and tell it like it is um, to that that extent. Indeed. I'm going to cut to a quick advert break, if that's okay. We're going to uh, give our, our voices a little rest um, for probably just about 30 seconds or so, but it also gives me the opportunity to place an advert in quite nicely in this exact spot. Uh, so we'll do that, and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation and uh, explore more of this wonderful world of automotive journalism. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Driven Chat Podcast. And we're back. That was a night we had a genuine break there, which we don't often do. Sometimes we sit in silence for a second or so and just say, everyone okay to carry on? 
carry on. Uh, but there we've actually had a break. We've had a chat with uh, with our big boss, Phil. Um, and here we are, back in the room, which is nice. We're back in the room. We're Henry's not ran off yet, so that's all. Right. <laughs> I'm still here. The fact you locked the door kind of you know, made it a bit tricky. Yeah. But it's yeah. Kind of... <laughs> yeah, once you're in, you're in. <laughs> um, so... We uh, we built up to quite an interesting point there where we were talking about the the diversity of the role, which is of course you know setting out as a writer, dabbling in a bit of photography, then dabbling in a bit of layout, then dabbling in proofreading, then dabbling in presenting. It's just made my mind up, really. Shouldn't, <laughs> yeah, kind of, you know, yeah, <laughs> shouldn't we all? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a complex little world. Um, so I want to explore then now the the fact that you're freelancing because I think mm. this is a really interesting one and again it's one that I often get asked it's a question I'm I'm very underqualified to answer so I always like just punning it off to somebody that's a, a far more experienced and better at it than me um, which is the, the kind of the pros and the cons of freelancing because we've spoken to a lot of writers and a lot of journalists who do a bit of both some are employed by a magazine and have a set list of um, articles to write each week or they'll be sent to car and they'll go and test it but talk to me about the freelancing world because that is a quite a different format isn't it in regard with regards to reporting to the same editor every single week and getting the content out what was your what what was that moment like in, in transitioning or have you always been a bit of a freelancer um no I, mean, I started off very definitely as staff uh, on evo for 12 13 years whatever it was so that was um yeah i, I was very much staffing in a, in a company which was, it was owned by dennis publishing so yeah. there was a uh, a bigger structure behind that as well at, at that point even if we were a bit of a sort of satellite operation um but then I went to Drive Tribe briefly. That was sort of that was my big jump away from Evo. Mm-hmm. That didn't last very long, and that was when I went freelance, um, which felt pretty scary at the time. I think, um, but I suppose that's where I was lucky in that I had. You know, we talked about you know having confidence in yourself, and I had that experience there. We'd done some pretty cool stuff over the years with Evo and Drive Tribe in terms of the, the, the films that we could make. And thankfully, there were other people out there that, that, that wanted uh, my Liam Neeson particular set of skills, not those skills. Sure, <laughs> yeah. <it's> kind of, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, the, the way I've done that, I've only really had a couple of major employers since then, one of which was was Carfection, which was part of, of CNET. And now it's, it's obviously Haggerty. Um, and that's really been... I suppose the way I've framed my freelance career and that it's it's sort of been because of because of what I do in terms of the video and the sort of films that we make I really wanted to work very much principally for for one outlet because that lets you um build up a um consistency I suppose and and gives you some control over um what you do so it's it's really nice to be able to talk to the guys at Haggerty, um, who are the guys I work for really in the US. But you go there and I know that they've got a, a really good uh, sort of quality channel stuff that Jason Kamisa does. Yeah, I looked at that and it's slightly terrifying to be perfectly honest because we looked at what he was doing and it's like, wow, that is kind of, that's kind of next level stuff and some of the things you, you're like, I'm going in somewhere where they are expecting really high quality stuff which is daunting and has been quite daunting at times to be perfectly honest because they want a video every other week and it's quite different to what i was doing before um in terms of yes we produce hopefully good quality stuff but 
whereas that was a case of I could sometimes take an invite and think, right, I'm not going to get a sort of an absolutely sort of one of our really premium offerings, say, but we could go and do something which I know would still be, you know, worth putting out there, but you'd just frame it in a different way and accept that it wasn't going to be. Now, every film has to be to a that sort of top quality standard, which brings with it its own sort of pressure and... and um, yeah, we're, we're kind of getting hopefully a bit more on top of it now in terms of just having a, a few on the stocks, which gives us a little bit more um, breathing room. Um, if something falls over at the last minute, which does happen, it's happened a couple of times this year. And that's really then when you sort of, because you can't just go, oh, that's all right, because it's like you have a deadline still mm, course, um, yeah. to fulfill. Um, but alongside the, the Haggerty stuff, I, I still write for Evo magazine, um, now and again and uh, the intercooler uh, so i've sort of got the th- i'm quite i like the fact of having the sort of the three channels so i've got evo which is obviously fairly traditional media still and it's always nice having mm. that there because i feel you know strong attachment to it um and then the intercooler is obviously a, a new media in terms of it's it's all online um and that's that gives me a different sort of outlet as well because the things i tend to write are slightly different so the things i'll write for eva will be still the sort of the, the features the the drive stories sometimes a an icon piece i think the latest thing i did for them was the uh integra type r um dc2 mm-hmm. sort of looking back at that which was was lovely um and then obviously what takes up most of my time because it just takes a lot of time in terms of the planning and then the, the filming and the logistics and then the i come back and i'll write the voiceover and record that and then it needs to be edited and then suddenly you're at the end of your two weeks and it's kind of that's it you've got to keep going again so that that's my main thing from all sorts of reasons and just occasionally i'll do other bits here and there as well Perfect. Um, but uh yeah it's it's a uh, um i know other freelancers do it in a completely different way and i, I i'm not sure i would be a very good freelancer doing it how i really admire some of the guys that can go on a launch and then turn that around for you know numerous yes. outlets yeah. and i i just can't sort of I, I tend to want to write something once maybe twice if i if that's mm. sort of what somebody requires um but beyond that um and if i can do it for sometimes i've obviously done it for i'll go and do a film on something and then i'll write about it and that's slightly different as we talked about it sort mm. of because writing the for me writing a voiceover is quite different to writing a feature course, I, yeah. I can't sort of they, they they sort of don't overlap um too much although I, I do agree about you find those sort of you, you find you've used a particular word for yes. sort of in the film you're like i just can't use that again in this because it's going to be really <laughs> sort of, sure. why did i waste it on that one <laughs> but um uh yeah freelance is it's not as hopefully scary i think as i thought it mm. it might be um yeah. Talk, talk to us a little bit about the um i'm really interested to know the jump from evo when of course we knew that you'd gone across to drive tribe mm. and yeah by your own admission was a bit of a short-lived thing we've discussed drive tribe in a few different ways and we've mm. had um fernie on here before talking about how it's evolved over the time over the years it's existed yeah what was your experience of it? Because it, it was, I think for us, me included, or I'll at least speak for myself, I didn't quite understand what, what it was in its early days. I think it's quite clearer now. Yeah. Because it's changed obviously a lot now and it's sort of, it's effectively shut down now, obviously in terms of, of what it um, 
was launched and going to be. And I think that's perhaps, yeah, I'm not sure it ever was entirely certain what it wanted to be. And sort of obviously it had this thing where people were creating, creating content for it, but it was, it wasn't just like an Instagram post. It was requiring a lot more of the people to get involved and, um, and, and be content creators for it. From, from my perspective, I mean, yeah, it didn't, didn't end particularly well for a whole group of us that had gone there with these great hopes and it was going it was going really well to sure. sort of we produced some films which i'm still really really proud of and uh, we won awards for some of them so but it for various sort of internal political reasons and somebody came on board that didn't see the value in what we were doing and and took the first opportunity to to sort of wave goodbye to us so that Surely. was that was that was it um i don't think we did anything wrong as such it just no, no um, i think from the, the 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 physical creatives side the writers and the producers and the people mm. making the content look as good as it did everyone was working with the best intentions it was mm. just that as you say the people that were essentially putting in the money and it was it was a large amount of money i think it was mm. 12 million pounds something like that um, it, it got to a point clearly where somebody said, okay, enough's enough. And that was a real mm -hmm. shame. And in fact, uh, quite rightly, as Miles said, I, I sat in this very room with Mike Fernie only a few months ago and we uh, we rattled on for over two and a half hours chatting mm -hmm. about all, all sorts of things. But he told the story brilliantly and, and shared his very real um, upset with regards to it ending as a, as a platform ending. Uh, but he, of course, has done wonderful things in carrying it yes, forward through yeah. the YouTube channel. He's continuing to do an absolutely brilliant job. Um, but yeah, it is. It, it must have been a really fascinating chapter. It must have seemed like, uh, did you see it at the time, at the opportunity coming up as a, okay, this is my long-term next chapter? Or were, was there some uncertainty about what it was? I think, no, I, I, I really saw it as being, you know, a, um, I, it, it took a lot for me to, to leave Evo, mm. really, because as we discussed that was that was my dream you know that was yeah. that was what it, this was i was there for um i was going to be a lifer sort of thing and, and so it took but equally i think you you reach a point after a while you think right well, i've done most of what i can do here right if i'm ever going to take a leap take the next step then this seemed like a really good thing to do and obviously jethro was involved as well and yeah. sam riley so i was going with people that i knew it was a i suppose a bit like drivers republic you know another mm. you know um, subset of Evo going somewhere else and doing kind of the same thing, having the same ethos in terms of the way we approached cars and that sort of thing, because I didn't want to change change that. Um, but yeah, so I, I thought it was going to be <laughs> last much longer than it did. Yeah. But I got to work in London for a bit, which was yeah. interesting. So it was something I wouldn't have done otherwise, particularly. So with the uh, just focusing back on the freelancing and the kind of nature of the job. Has the have you got to that wonderful point in the career where you're able to sort of pick and choose with what cars you're reviewing? You, do you tend to be reviewing the more kind of specialist high end stuff, or do you occasionally get to do the more run of the mill stuff? And do you enjoy both? What's your What's your forte? If you have, one? I definitely enjoy both. I yeah. mean, I drive around in a you know um, scruffy old Clio one hundred and two <laughs> every day and, you, and you enjoy that it. Immediately, so kind of that immediately cements you as a very authentic voice. It does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> Anyone that drives a clear sport is, is just immediately uh, high-ranking. With an exhaust that's much too loud. It was, it was there when I bought it. And kind of, it was of one of those things. I, I, yeah, I, yeah, sure it was. It, yeah. was, it was on there and I bought it and I don't remember driving home thinking, 
Yeah, it's probably a bit loud. I, probably should, I should probably change that. And, you know, <laughs> whatever it is, however many years later, I still Brilliant. haven't changed it. I'm still going to think, you know, on a long journey, it's going to... Um, but um, no, so I, I very much, you know, I, I enjoy everything. I do pick and choose, I suppose, again, because of my background, because of what I like, the whole reasons for wanting to work in the places that I've worked and is because the kind of cars I enjoy are the inevitably more high performance ones, the enthusiast cars. And sadly, they're not, I mean, there are not that many sort of certainly new, really accessible um modern cars in terms of sort of the enthusiast cars out there mm. you know i'd love to be able to blow the trumpet for you know the modern clear 182 but they just aren't that it's many being anymore, is it? produced um did a film recently on uh bbr mazda supercharged mazda mx5 uh, and nd and and part of that was just because i was feeling like every other video was was a resto mod which i love but I'm always very aware of the fact that I'm I'm talking to an audience, you know, that, that like me can't afford mm. one of these, and and realistically probably won't ever be able to afford, you know, the vast majority of us are just being realistic about mm. it. Yeah. And whilst a lot of my job is to put people in the seat and say this is what it's like to be in one of these amazing cars, and and you know, make them, I suppose, sort of you know, open to all to some degree it's nice to be able to give people a, a slightly more attainable dream from time to time. Yeah. Definitely. When I was growing up, I, I loved the Lotus Elise when it came out, you know, and I was, you know, it came out in what, 95, I think it was, wasn't yeah, it? Sort of ran, like ran then sort Five of, or six, um, yeah. and, uh, yeah, six, wasn't it? And I, but I was, I was definitely, I wasn't driving at the time, uh, it came out quite, but it was that I was, I was looking at what I might be able to afford one day and sort mm. of, and it came out and it was, um, and it was genuinely attainable mm -hmm. and that's sort of, and that's a, a, a lovely thing. So I sort of, yeah, I do pick and choose and, but a lot of the most exciting things out there and the things that the internet is probably going to want to hear about. Yeah. I just inevitably sort of, and it's, I've heard sort of criticism in the past that I perhaps aren't, I'm not critical enough of cars, but inevitably because I'm picking ones that I like because course, it's, it's yeah. sort of, sort of, yeah, I, I, I'm not, in the, I don't really want to go and get something just to give it a yeah. complete kicking because mm. it's sort of, obviously I will always say when I don't think something's right or I think things could be better or, um, but you know, it's, it's just the plain fact that a lot of cars out there are fundamentally very good yeah um, we, we say this often there's not really it's, it's not really um, a bad car now is there no, you and, know? and you can sort of you can and i also you have to be very careful about you know you can go on the basis of all oh, this one's kind of you know it's not as good as x or they haven't done that for it. and you can get very sort of it's quite easy in a way to be a very critical journalist and then be very down on something that actually when you step back from it at a moment you can't just have a feel a bit grumpy yourself and go well i don't like this car because the, the ride isn't that good and miss the fact that it's got a fabulous engine and mm. you're actually driving around in something that most people out there would give their eye teeth to be doing surely and it's that sort of you, you it's that balance of being recognizing that something's not perfect but also also recognizing that yeah this is you know it's not heart surgery <laughs> i'm not doing anything no. sort of it's it's some it's, there's an element of entertainment to it while still being objective definitely yeah yeah uh, if i it, 
if I can drag if I can drag your mind back to Evo just just for a moment again, mm. of course we would sort of I would and many friends of mine would eagerly await the Evo Car of the Year mm. film to yeah. come out, and I think that's where, you know, to your point there, it had a mixture of both because there was a what what I think we all loved about it as viewers and and um, was that it was a it was it was an aspirational film in the sense of it was always in a lovely location with some very cool cars, supercars, all the rest of it. All right, that's really really cool. But there was always like an underdog car in there, or like a hot hatch, or something that, like you say, was actually possibly attainable. Mm. And that you know, inevitably, there was always good words said about the cars that you knew were going to be good, like mm. a Ferrari four five eight or a Porsche. But okay. But then there would be something that would come along, like a Clio or something else that was a bit of an underdog and would actually sometimes win the whole thing. And I think that was really quite impactful for for many years. And I, yeah. I'd love to know what what it was like producing those films, because it looked like just a group of mates <laughs> going and having a good old time in some cars, but actually producing a fantastic film at the end of it. Yeah, I sort of. I mean, I started out just writing the even before we even did the video to somebody posted the other day the old cd which was before i joined evo where they literally just drove the car past they did a sort of very long tracking shot and each gradually each car overtook and they just put a clip there and then a couple of <laughs> clips of a skid shot and nobody said a word and that was about it <laughs> yeah. that was that was your kind of that was your car video yeah. back in the day um but yeah the first evo car of the year i wrote was 2007 uh and again that was a massive moment really came about i think because drives of public had happened so they'd all jump ship so um and i was on the staff and therefore cheap to harry um <laughs> but i'll take it you know it's kind of <laughs> yeah definitely and uh yeah i loved loved writing those um hated it as well in a way because it was really it was such a big thing to write and it's like sort of yeah. you know 15 20 000 words that you had to write in you know a week or two Jeez. Um, and um kind of get all the characters in there because that's all again i i loved reading car of the year and peter tomlin did such a wonderful job of bringing all those characters in and and making it seem fun mm -hmm. not just you didn't want it to just be worthy because and it, that sort of again it's still what i want today is in the film you, you don't it, it is fun what you're doing um and i think we never lost sight of that so um, i think it's important as well it's important that the viewers especially for the videos mm. that they see and I guess through through written, written words, they see that you're enjoying it because I think you're right. Like you, you, you brilliantly said just there, there are so many people reading these articles or watching these videos who would do anything for just one day of what we yeah. get to do as a job. Even you know? the worst car that I get to drive, Absolutely. they would still want yeah. to kind of, and that's something you kind of just, yeah, yeah. And I, and I love driving, good or bad. There's still kind of even the bad cars. It's fun to drive them. Of course, it's, it is. Got, yeah. it's kind of you know, yeah. From a, Do you ever um, get just thinking about so focusing on the bad there? Mm. I guess we could do it positive and negative. Do you ever get <laughs> kickback from both manufacturers and I, I've experienced this personally? Written some never you know scathing words, but some perhaps some words that would perhaps be read as. Uh, unfavorable by a certain mm. group of owners of cars uh, have you ever experienced kickback from people going oh actually i think you're wrong or or has a manufacturer manufacturer ever come back to you following an article that perhaps isn't all singing all dancing and said oh we weren't expecting it to be quite as negative as that yeah there have certainly been things in the past where um i think we've been not blacklisted as such but mm. sort of certainly it's 
if I haven't been you're off the Christmas given, card given list everything, for you know, the, the perhaps the five stars they thought it was worth. I but, think Richard Porter calls um, it the shit list. Like. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I'm never going to shy away from that if sure. I don't drive one of the cars for a bit. Well, that's that's that, and people will probably start asking questions as to why you're not driving well, quite, it. So, yeah. um, and it's you know you can't you've got to have that contrast in there, to, or you've got to have the they've got to accept that if they still want journalists mm. on a launch and to review their cars and accept the praise when you do praise something, then you've got to accept the fact that if I think something isn't right, then I'm going to say it. And the other thing is that when you get to go on launches, you generally, there will be some of the engineers there. Sometimes it's not just a launch. Sometimes you'll just talk to the engineers at somewhere like Goodwood or whatever you end up and you'll say, oh, such and such. I really didn't think that actually rode as well as I was expecting. Mm. Or, you know, these controls really don't, sort of, for me, they don't work um, as well as such and such. By and large, they'll agree with you. Yeah, because yeah. if you're being objective about it, and this comes back to trusting yourself, um, you're just, you're not making something up. You're telling it how it is. And if a car understeers or oversteers in a certain way or has feel or doesn't have feel that's just how it is mm. you know if you haven't fabricated it then they haven't got a leg to stand on to criticize you for it because yeah. it's sort of and it's loud or it's not loud and it's sort of it's all these these things that as as long as you've been rigorous and you haven't sort of got back to the office or your whatever and sat over your laptop and just created it in your mind and thought oh well actually i'm, I'm kind of was yeah, it like that well, i don't think it was that kind of, say, of i'll, I'll shoot, shoot which you must in. never yeah. do yeah. then yeah it's really and mostly like i say the engineers you know <laughs> they're better drivers than we are they they will know it they're not stupid mm. but also um, you want to uh, we spoke uh, very briefly when we spoke to joe last week you want to hit as an engineer you want to hear that stuff you mm. actually want yeah, to yeah because it, it can actually help you in the business in terms of if you want to yeah. if you actually want to take the car in a certain direction if you've mm. had some honest feedback from journalists who drive so many cars mm. your feedback's actually super valuable because you have a good you, you you've got a fantastic basis from which to have those opinions so to be able to go, well, actually, a few people have said this now and we've, yeah, that can actually help with then the next generation of car because you can go, well, okay, maybe we can actually, you know, make that into an attribute going forwards. Mm. Mm, Absolutely. Have you ever found yourself, and again, I guess this comes back to the same quandary of not wanting to read anyone else's copy before then writing your own and that may be then having some influence. But on the, the flip side of that, have you ever found yourself finishing an article or, or a, a video review and being fairly confident that yeah my opinion and I'm, I'm fairly happy with that that's that's what's gone out only to then discover that almost everyone else has said very good <laughs> things about the car that you perhaps said wasn't so good yeah uh yeah i, I can't think off the top of my head but i know that yeah. that has happened and, and evo certainly had that over the years where there would come back from launch and it was the greatest thing ever according to everybody else and we'd been perhaps slightly more yeah. warm about something or hadn't got it and yeah again you just have to you you test what is what you're given and mm. and that's that's what it what it is and i always say i trusted the opinion of those around me and and it was generally a case you know going back to car of the year we might obviously we wouldn't all rank apart from 2014 i think where the 
four five eight speciale was first across the board mm. um we would all sort of have our opinions and um it, it was never a complete consensus over the order of of cars at all but objectively we would all agree on the cars pretty much you know it was sort of it was them came down to more the, the subjective as to what we liked i mean the cars were there for a reason they were the best cars of the year and you you'd all talk about sort of I, I like the way it does that, or I don't like the way it does that, but we were all saying it does that. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's, <laughs> sort of, that's so I think that's yeah, the sort yeah. of, and it, once you've got that confidence within the sort of the, the group of your peers that you trust and admire, then, then that again gives you the confidence to think, right, well, yeah, that's, that's sort of, I'm not, not wrong about these things. It's just a case of whether you do or don't Surely. Um, mm. like them or whether you think a car should be that sort of you know should it should it ride better than that or shouldn't it is it sort of is it trying to be something um is it trying to be more of a gt or is it trying to be more of a a sports car um and then you can discuss that but fundamentally you've got what it is and how it rides Mm -hmm. at the very center of it whether you think it should be doing something different or not to that that's yeah that's an interesting point because i had this recently with the uh i drove the mclaren gt um a couple of weeks ago and I hadn't mm. driven it before and and I remember having read or, you know possibly read a few reviews or watched a few videos and it uh, I get it didn't probably get the most positive response because it was called a GT but it didn't look like a GT car and that was not the prettiest thing and all you know the list goes on etc 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 and I sort of thought okay I was quite late to the car having driven it only a couple of weeks ago but I drove it and sort of just parked all of that for a moment. I went and thought, well, actually, this is just a really good road car. Mm. It, it, it delivers on all the attributes that I think should come from a road car. Okay, it's not declaring that it's going to be the best thing on track, but actually it's it's nice and comfortable. It's fast enough. All right, it doesn't look like a GT car, but why does a GT car need to look like a front engine, you know, mm. long bonnet type thing? It doesn't need to, does it? No. Um, so, yeah, and, and I came away from it going, I'm not really bothered about what, what any of it says, what anything I've read before, because I just think it's a nice car. Yeah. And if I was to write, if I was to write a piece on it or talk to anyone about it, I that I would just give that verbatim, really. Yeah, and it's it's the thing like I don't know, the most recent M3, for example. Yeah, you know, we all looked at it quite literally. <laughs> Obviously, we saw the the photos and sort of, um, but also read the specs of the fact it had an automatic gearbox. Mm. You know, it weighs X, and it's sort of you just. But you have to kind of put all that to one side when you first get into it, and it was, you know, I loved it. I, mm. It was really great, and you, you, yeah, you can't get um, overawed by what a spec sheet says. No, um, so yeah, not at all. <laughs> the um, well, talk to me a little bit about the your kind of process of writing, and not only the the structure of what you write, but when, because again, I, I I'm just from a very personal point of view there are certain times and i think this is a just a trait of any creative anyone that's creating something whether that's a a work of art on a canvas a written story or a particularly good video edit or even a photograph perhaps or photo edit i should say i find there are certain times of the day where if i sit down at a computer and go right now i need to put all those those iphone notes that i've scribbled together versus some bits of paper I've written on and receipts I've scribbled on to remember certain things I want to say about the car and I sit down in front of a computer and go no brain's not working now mm. and I sometimes right I, I I insist that some of the best stuff I've ever written is the stuff that I once I've already sat in bed I then go 
oh, actually, no, I'm just going to go into the office just very briefly and I'll be there for two hours and then bash out 2,000 words. Is that, um, do you find a similar thing? Or do you are you fairly good at going, right, no, I need to get that done by this time, therefore I'll sit down and it just happens? Oh, I wish. Good, that makes I me feel really a lot better. I really wish that was okay. I'm, yeah, we're recording this in the middle of the day. Yeah. That's kind of no coincidence because I know I'm useless, really, at trying to write yeah. or be creative in the middle of the day. I just, yeah. I can't sort of, if I... It always used to be case I was very much an owl and I was I would stay up uh-huh. during the night and it was that kind of thing where there were no distractions. Mm-hmm. You felt like yes, the rest, exactly the rest of the world's gone yeah. to bed kind of thing yeah. um, and it's all quiet and peaceful and I'd, I'd write through the night um, and usually write up to a deadline. Um, de- deadline always helps in terms of focusing <laughs> yeah. on mine. It really, it really does. I, I, um, I'm definitely one of those yeah. who work to a deadline. <laughs> You're also a um, Sunday evening homework. <laughs> and, um, and now, you know... I, if I can get out of bed early in the morning and do that, but I'm just not very good at getting it. I like being up early. Um, you know, I love a, an early morning drive. Wonderful. But mm. the process of actually getting out of bed early, I'm, I've always been useless at. So there's people that can skip out of bed and, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, I never run in the morning. I was always a kind of train in the, in the evening sort of thing. I could get mm. back from the office and go out for a run at 11 o'clock at night. That, that I could do, but to get up at, you know, 7 a.m. and go for a run. I just, I'm just, just not, I'm just, just not, fu- I'm just not functioning. It's, it's, it's no for me, <laughs> which is not great for races when you have to go to sort of, of you know, multi sports or anything like that. We always seem to start. It was one of the nice things about bike cycling racing was that they were always sort of you could go into an evening crit when I'm just about sort of you know ready for it by that point sorry that's completely off topic <laughs> <but, laughs> <okay>. um, <laughs> I'm just um, relieved that I'm not the only one that seems to just sit at a desk all day going why is my brain working the, do you know, the, the worst thing as well is this there's this sort of you know, midday malaise when yeah. you just think I'm not there. There's still, you know, I'm freelance, as we discussed. I should be able to go, right, do you know what? This From midday till, you know, late afternoon, that's fine. Do you know what? I'll go for a run. I'll go and do mm, sort of do some yeah. housework or whatever it is I need to do, go and get the shopping done. I still feel a lot of the time like I should be, sit, you know, it's the, the working yeah. day. I should be sitting Absolutely, there yeah. doing Relate, some, I can completely doing some work. So you sit there pouring over kind of one paragraph that you then delete three hours later yeah. and think why have i or worse still looking at youtube because you feel like you've got your laptop on your lap and sort of you're doing some sort of work because it's yeah, yeah. it's research and sort of you know <laughs> you know, looking at it's like that's not it's a coffee machine i'm not researching anything i know what his videos look like i can't sort of i cannot click but you know it's just yeah so mm. yeah i wish i was better at it but it's um I'm not. So I think go. everybody listening to this that is a freelancer has just gone. Ah, oh, thank God. We're <laughs> all possibly safe. those that aren't freelancing as well. <laughs> yeah. know, I remember one of the one of the very early conversations that I had uh, myself and the then Amy Shaw, now Amy Haynes, and we spoke mm. to Alex Goy about this. And Alex is a really good friend. And um, we asked that I asked a similar question, and Alex's reply, which I think kind of caught me off guard a little bit, said when I said, you know, do you enjoy writing? What's the process of it, and and, and how do you feel about it? And his reply almost instantly was, it's really hard. Mm. And I was like, oh. And then about a week or two later, um, another friend of mine, Tom Wookie Ford, and asked him about it. And I think he'd listened to Alex's episode. And he was like, well, I don't know why anyone thinks it's hard. You just kind of get on with it. And <laughs> No, you don't. You stare yeah. at a blank sheet of paper until your forehead <laughs> yeah, bleeds. Yeah, and then yeah. you kind of you know, go away and sort of you know, <laughs> have another coffee and hope that some you know spark comes to you. But, That's um, it. I, yeah. I, I mean, I, mean there, there are things you can... I've learned over the years that you you kind of you, you don't have to start at the beginning. That's that's mm. always a yes. get out of jail thing. Absolutely. It's like right, I'm 
I have no idea how this is going to start, but I know that the driving section of it um, mm. is is going to work. So you put that in there and mm. you, do, you write it out of order. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's um, yeah, not easy. <laughs> Wish it was. Sometimes, just, oca- just occasionally, it's lovely. And it's like getting, yes. it's like getting into that car that you sort of... You, it just fits you in terms of the yeah. dynamics and stuff and it's the the turning is just the way you like it and the sort of you know the amount of power it's got and the chassis balance and everything and you just feel at home and it all you're on the right road and it all flows and that is you get the same in writing just occasionally um frequently actually i find it if you can sit down quite soon after doing if you're writing it's probably a particular type of article so if you can do something straight after i don't know i, I remember doing one about rallying when i was doing the british rally championship and yeah. writing i think it was probably just after i rolled it in ulster actually and i sat down and wrote that evening as a sort of cathartic mm. thing and it just felt because i was not necessarily doing a review it was it was much more personal and so it felt much easier to to write um yeah. and it's lovely when that happens you know when you're in, in the flow Absolutely, and it's all, yeah all great but yeah it doesn't doesn't happen <laughs> yeah absolutely i've been i've sat there in fact annoyingly more often than not uh, and certainly when i was doing my degree everyone would there would be friends of mine colleagues and whatnot that would be extremely angry at the fact that i hadn't really done anything and they'd been working on something for six months like a dissertation and then i'd be like yeah 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 and i'd start it seven days before the deadline i've had all year to do it but yeah, <laughs> there you go and they and then you go and get the same you know, you're going to get the same grade as them and they'd be like, God, I just hate you for that. But it's just how my brain works well, and, and many others. And that, that takes us right back to the beginning of this conversation with the whole school thought process that for a lot of us, the system of school, the kind of systematic way that it's laid out and we, we study this to then write essays on this, then do exams on this to then produce some sort of qualification is fine for a lot of people. But for the for an awful lot more it's not and it doesn't work like that and you know you could argue that yes you didn't start writing physically writing that article until seven days before but ultimately it was still happening it was still being built up that research and that knowledge and that educational side of it that would eventually produce that final dissertation or that piece was all there it was just in your head you've not you've not pulled it out of nowhere and gone oh i better start imagining things now and uh, and putting it that's what i told myself anyway yeah Yeah. (laughs) Talk to us a little bit, Henry, about um, a couple of things, really. The driving element is always, I think, quite an interesting thing um, in terms of the skill set that's required to be, you know, a motoring mm. journalist. Not mm. not necessarily required, but sort of becomes a byproduct of being a motoring journalist. Um, and then <laughs> I'm, I'm interested to know, because we've been invited on some weird and wacky sort of press events and things before, is there anything that sticks out to you that's maybe like, you know, a funny, like, not necessarily a funny story or even a an accident where you've looked across at, you know, a fellow colleague and gone, oh, that's not gone particularly well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, blimey. Um, well, I mean, the, the driving, the driving thing is um, central to the whole thing for me, because that's what I, that's what I love. That's kind of much as i picked up evo and thought yes that's an end product that i really like it it was a way to drive cars that's you know make no two ways about it it wasn't just because i wanted to i loved the creative writing i'd grown up you know appreciating things like pg woodhouse or you know good lovely bits of writing the wordcraft but i wanted to drive cars you know I, i wanted to 
um, and driving quickly and, yeah. and know what that was all about. And remember reading sort of, you know, Dennis Jenkinson's book on Moss and him describing in, you know, minute detail about sort of, you know, side slip and, and remember sitting there thinking, yeah, I can understand how that feels on four wheels, despite the fact I wasn't, I hadn't really done any driving that much at that point. It, it felt like something I understood mm. um, in a way that I have never really understood with two wheels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've done a lot of mountain biking and, and road cycling and stuff, but, I, but I've never felt as comfortable on two wheels you watch something like that. dean smith the photographer is brilliant on a mountain bike irritatingly so and he will disappear down a trail <laughs> without so much as a turn of the pedals and I, I have no idea how he does it you know i just i don't get that whereas the standing on the banking at magwick you know watching the car sort of you know peter harbin back in the road drifting a dbr1 through there i'm not saying i felt like i could jump into the car and do it but i could sort of I felt an empathy with what was going on yes um that i could you know i could understand it and um and i love i just love that that feeling you know the feeling of of driving and um particularly particularly sort of you know sliding a car um is it's why i love <laughs> love rallying wyon and mark to escort it's, yeah. there's there's nothing quite like it and those are the, the it's what you what you look for um what I look for in a car and and that's that's why I love them so much and I think the way I perceive cars is so informed by what they're like to drive and how I look at them so the sort of the beauty of a car um for me is yes I can obviously appreciate the aesthetics and understand but I, I can't help but impose my thoughts of what it's going to be like to drive or is like to drive upon the look of that car for better or worse so it might be something like, yeah a clear 182 to bring it back to that it's not a particularly prepossessing car it is a roller skate on wheels yeah. it's sort of mine does not look is nothing to look at it's sort of i kind of quite like that sort of mm. aesthetic anyway but but it's never going to win a any sort of beauty contest no but to me I love the way it looks, and, yeah. I, and I and if I see a, a 172 cup down coming down the road, I think, oh, that's because I know what it's like to drive, and I yeah. and I know the fun that can be had from it. So that informs my sort of view of of that car, if that makes makes sense. It's that lovely to, universal knowledge that you see that car, and you're right, it doesn't have to be an all glitzy, glamorous car. It might be something like a 182, and you just you just know that the person that's driving that car has made a conscious decision to buy that car because they are a car person. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. I really, really like that. Yeah. Um, just that focusing, so following a little bit from Miles's question, just with regards to the, the driving skill element of, of um, road testing cars, which is a conversation I've had many times with many people. Um, and I, I think as somebody personally who has taken a great interest in driving, and as I said before, my, my, uh, entry into this automotive world was actually in the world of events and doing track days and things like that so for me understanding what a car does on a circuit and why a car handles in a particular way that it does was was initially just out of pure interest I think it sounds like you you thought in the same way uh, but then when it came to starting to write about cars or even just telling people about cars you know if you go to the pub and somebody says oh you drove that the other day what's it like having that ability to explain why something is good from a vehicle dynamics point of view i find Mm. quite essential but i've also found it quite interesting over the years now that i've been doing more and more on the editorial side of the automotive media world is that there are a lot of motoring journalists and i won't mention any names (laughs) who 
aren't very good drivers, <laughs> and yet often find themselves. In well, I'm, sat right, I'm sat right here, John. That's quite nice. <laughs> yeah. And they, you know, I, I, I see a lot of these drivers, and I've seen it on car launches. I've been in the passenger seat sharing, sharing press drives. Um, in fact, the first ever press launch I went on, the the gentleman that I was sharing the drive with fell asleep at the wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was fortunately only a Peugeot 308. Don't mean to brag, um, but. These things happen, and I've noticed this throughout the years, and I've, and it's always puzzled me to think, how has that happened? How has somebody that can't explain the fundament, even the basics of understeer or oversteer, they can't really tell you what's happening or why it's happened, or let alone how to fix it, <laughs> the mystery of how people have managed to get themselves in a position where they can then supposedly tell somebody else how a car handles when they're not a very good driver themselves. Have you encountered anything anything like oh, yes. that yes i've i've definitely i can yeah definitely think of launches where i've sort of and i tend to I, it doesn't really happen anymore because of the way for the, the filming stuff we tend to get a car to ourselves yeah um thankfully but yeah back in the day we'd have to share a car with somebody else i would pretty much always or i don't know i certainly worked out after a while that it was always much better to let the other person drive first yes. yeah um Often because the car launch would start in a city or somewhere not particularly nice and therefore the best bit of the road route was in the middle. Mm-hmm. So that was always quite helpful. But also because if I was going to drive a car quickly, I wanted to do that after they had driven and not put ideas in anyone's, their mind that they yeah. somehow thought they That's should try to be idea. competitive. Yeah. And, and and there are plenty of motion journeys who are quicker than I am or would drive more quickly. And I'm not saying that I am somehow the quickest driver out there, but compared to some i would probably drive more quickly and therefore um you know some might want to try and emulate that in a way that i wouldn't be comfortable with and yeah i've sat next to some people it's sort of I, you drive that and i think god this car must be absolutely horrendous you know, sort of, you know <laughs> yeah. the clutch is clearly an absolute <laughs> yeah. beast on this uh, sort of you know sort of you know why they haven't engineered a, a proper gearbox and I've, I've i've no idea and then then you drive it and think no Ah. it is actually okay um and then you discover that maybe they haven't driven left-hand drive car before or something but yeah so it it does it does happen um i don't i don't know it's it's it's, it's one without without really good names it's um, a dangerous way to go isn't it but then the the other thing is then i suppose the but the slight flip side to that is that again there are people out there who would never claim to be the best drivers in the world mm. um certainly have no interest in really you know doing big sideways cornering shots or anything like that yeah. but are fantastic motoring journalists absolutely right and are brilliant at communicating like we comes back to what we said before about those those first few miles in a car and, and really putting you in the driver's seat and because the vast majority of people like that never you know we often get criticized for why are you showing a skid shot when mm. nobody drives like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah there, there is the flip side of the i never want to get so sort of wrapped up at much as i love doing it yeah it's good shot and so great. you've got to realize that it's not even on a track day you know we you get a track to go and do some filming and you go and do a load of skids around a corner because it looks great on camera and it's yeah. really fun to do but you have to and if you go and do that on a track day you're going to get black flagged yeah, and yeah, told to you know, right. tail between your legs and go home totally, and stop yeah. sort of you know think about what you've you've done so 
you know it's, it's that um i think yeah. it's the whole um you know the whole shiny fruit out the front kind of thing isn't it it's off mm. it's done now to sort of as a a draw on films and you know reading an article that's yeah. the you know to see a car smoke billowing and, off the and tires always, it looks great and some people love it and i i love the fact that you know as you you read about somebody describing you know how a car tips into oversteer and you sort of you know the e-diff is you know locking up a bit better there or sort of it's, it's stabilizing halfway you think wow this is fantastic yeah. and you're getting that insight and you feel like you've come away with knowledge that otherwise you wouldn't you know it's it's the you know you would love listening to martin brundle or something on the you know this the f1 commentary um or any ex-sports person on mm. you know sports commentary because they have an understanding that you know it's, it's giving us all an insight into something and i love love that so i want to feel and i want to feel like i've driven the car to its limit because some people will and Absolutely, I think it's nice yeah. to be able to report on, and I on guess that. But you just mustn't make it the be-all and end-all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and especially when it is a, a performance car. I think that's that's mm-hmm. always a crucial one. It's And again, there's a certain irony in knowing that the majority of people that are going out and buying a SF90 Ferrari mm-hmm. are probably going to drive it at the most at maybe 80 miles an hour, a bit naughtily on the motorway, and that's mm-hmm. going to be about it. And they will get to perhaps 4% of its dynamic capability. Uh, but then equally, uh, you, there's that, you feel like you should report as best you can to your own ability at how good it is and why it's so good. Mm. Um, so I guess that that can bring its own challenges as well. Mm. Um, yeah, catering for every reader is always an impos- impossible thing. <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I, it's it's been interesting to, you know, just just through um, virtue of being interested in in your work over the years, to see that now. Obviously, if we bring the clock rounds where you are today at Haggerty it's it's almost uh, from my perspective it looks like you've been given a an an opportunity to go and do things that you you really want to go and do now is that is that how it is yeah very much it's it's kind of um as I say producing the sorts of films that I want to produce and it's which is is lovely that's what you want to be want to be given and and yeah the the a bit of extra budget to go and do at the time it's, it's not so much a budget thing actually and i've always sort of said this as well it's it's the it is the time and it's the time to try and think of the stuff beforehand mm. um as much as anything as as well as the the time to shoot things um when you're when you're out there in terms of the the filming and giving yourself that bit more leeway because it's the you'll have the fundamental shots that you know you need to get but it's all that other stuff that you want to want to be able to do so yeah it's some um, i feel very lucky that i get to be someone like that and and make those sorts of films really that's great so then talk to us about the future what do you do you have a plan do you have like a foresight into what you hope to be evolving into or be that from a personal point of view or from a, a work point of view or are you just kind of riding this wave and seeing what, what happens next uh yeah i mean if you record this so i've been at haggerty for a year now um and definitely learnt quite a lot during that year in terms of how we hopefully make the second year better and sort of from a it's probably more from a personal sort of workflow perspective in terms of um that sort of thing i mean not being forced into shooting something in the middle of winter mm-hmm. um because you have nothing on the stocks to kind of edit yeah. and put out the following week it's it's much nicer so we're you know working pretty hard at the moment to make sure we've got a lot of films um just 
not backed up exactly, but sort of that are, um, we can we can put out and we can actually have Christmas um, and that sort of thing. So um, yeah, I, for the moment, I'm very happy where I am and I'm excited to see what we can keep keep doing next year. There's always um, interesting things out there's obviously the podcast like you guys are doing it sort of always look at that thing oh maybe that would be fun but it's just mm. not have time to do sure. anything like that at the moment and um yeah it, it's there's always i'd love to write a book one day okay. that's that's yeah. that's i suppose if that was if there was one thing for the future and it's a, not as a kind of massive money making thing i'd love to write a novel that would be really okay. given given the time um at some point that would be uh really fun and there are the occasional sort of really big projects that are still bubbling away in the background in terms of films and stuff there's always if we can as i said that that give ourselves a bit of extra time so we're not sort of hand-to-mouth sort of mm. film edit publish film edit publish if we can get a bit of the time back then it gives us the opportunity to do the other projects around that as well so um yeah yeah if you big things it'd be nice nice to do always thinking <laughs> yeah well that's I think that's that's a trait isn't it with the with the profession yeah. um so i guess it's worth saying to our dear listen if they're not following you already i'm sure they are <laughs> but if they're not following you already where can people find you and the work you do uh so you can find most of the work i do on the haggerty youtube channel um they can find me at henry catchpole on instagram and x as it is but to be honest it's prin- still twitter isn't it it is still twitter yes um but um yeah principally uh instagram is really where I, i'm i'm not very good at, at keeping up with my social media in- there's not a lot of insta about what i gram um but um <laughs> it's um yeah i enjoy taking photos so there's, there's tend to be some stuff up there perfect uh, i i think this has been fantastic thank you so much for giving us your afternoon well, thank and, you very much um, for asking me <laughs> postponing your uh, your your work until tonight <laughs> exactly. like, like the rest of us will be doing uh, miles i think can we set you the challenge of writing an article on that mclaren but only if it starts at 11 p.m this evening and then carries through till <laughs> three in the morning that's only going to be that's, that's the only way it's going to be possible truth <laughs> be told yeah yeah fit fueled by lots of coffee and um Chocolate digestives, generally speaking. Sounds great. <laughs> Sounds yeah. like perfect fuel. Yeah, it does. Um, well, thank you, Henry. It's been great. Nice I've personally found thank this you, really fascinating. And um, yeah, uh, quite uh, quite good as well. A number of things I've managed to check off and go, oh, okay, because I, I feel like I'm a massive blagger in this entire game. Don't to, we all? To hear the, to hear <laughs> yep. the professionals go, no, my, my brain doesn't work at lunchtime either. Then I'm just like, good, right, I can make a note of that. That's absolutely fine. So hopefully our dear listener has, has felt the same and perhaps you have felt inspired. Perhaps you have had some questions answered that um, you've been wondering about uh, if you have any follow-up to this particular episode don't forget you can contact the show podcast at drivenchat.com is our email address or alternatively head on over to our website driven.site uh, where you will not only see all the articles that re- we write that the videos we make the photographs we take the entire list back catalogue of podcasts but also a little contact tab there as well where you can get in contact with us and tell us anything that you would like to know or questions that you would like us to pass on to henry in the future you never know there might be some things um for now i will say that's what brings us to the end of this episode don't forget if you're feeling especially nice and generous you can leave us a nice review it's the only thing we ask for in order to say thank you for the output that we create you can do so by doing that on apple podcasts or google podcasts or if the platform that you're listening to has some sort of review box just write in some nice words give us some stars about five 
and then we'll all be happy. And it, if it's less than five, we know where you live. It's true. We'll be we'll be there. And if it's out of ten, then kind of you know. <laughs> up it a bit. Yeah. yeah, don't give us five if it's out of a hundred, please. Point. I never thought of that. Oh no, what if Apple suddenly changed their star rating? And I'm asking everyone to give us half marks. We've been giving you five, but it just doesn't yeah. look very good. <laughs> oh damn, I've never thought of that until now. That's uh, something else to lose sleep over. Thanks, isn't it? Henry. You Sorry. Just, you Sorry. just saved us there. Uh, don't forget, you can also follow what we do on our social channels at Driven Chats across pretty much all the platforms including Twitter slash X, even though we don't really do anything on there because mostly we're a bit useless and it's a bit rubbish. It is. So, uh, but that's just my opinion. Um, lastly, thank you. Thank you, Henry. Thank you, Miles. Thank you. And uh, yeah, and, and, and Henry, thanks for coming in. We've been, we've been to- toying with the idea for some time, but we finally, uh, finally made it happen. <laughs> no, thank you very much. It's been, been great fun. Good. Excellent stuff. And last, thank you to you, dear listener. Thank you ever so much for joining us. We will be back with another episode of similar fashion in approximately seven days' time. The Driven Chat Podcast, powered by Paramex Digital. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Oh, wow. You've made it to the end. The very end. And it's John Markar here again, reminding you that this podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now run its course and has come to an end. To find the new format, search the Driven podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps. Thanks. Bye.